This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about our identity in Christ. Um, identity is something that's pretty important, and there's a whole lot of things that go into thinking about what our identity is, and there's a whole you know there's whole movements happening now and have been for a while. Uh, of different groups pushing a specific identity or a specific group to foster uh, various kinds of identity. Um, you know, it's not something that is, uh, that's not, it's not something that's hidden from us and that we're ignorant from. There's a whole conversation happening right now about gender identity. And people are trying to, you know, uh, um, pick whichever one they feel like they align with the most and they, and people align them, themselves and reshape their lives and refocus their lives around this specific mindset. Um, and that's not the only ways that we do that. Like we all do that t- type of thing because we want to be a certain kind of person or we want, to, we want to be perceived as a certain kind of person. So very quickly, let's talk real quick about what is identity. Let's look at a few things here. Um, you know, because again, we, we invest a lot of time and, and effort into answering these questions and specifically the question, who am I? We really want to know that about ourselves. And so we might invest time in things like the Enneagram. That's a huge, hugely popular thing that people love to do and like love to focus on. And, and you find your number and you, you go around, I'm an eight or I'm a two or I'm a three, because it tells you something about a little bit about yourself. Um, now the trouble with those kinds of things like the Enneagram or the DISC assessment or all these others, uh, I think it has a tendency to get us stuck in this mindset and think that we can't ever change from that or we can't evolve from our personality. We can, and we should never be stuck and just say, well, that's who I am, it's my personality, and just be okay with that. That's an issue. But we do put a lot of time and effort into that kind of thing. There's so many personality quizzes online, I'm sure, I'm sure there's uh, way more than the, than the two that I just uh, mentioned. But uh, So identity really is, kind of think about the definition of it, it's the values qualities, the traits, the expressions that characterize who you are. Um, and that's what your identity is. And I think it can be influenced by time, uh, the time period that we live in. It, it's influenced by our environment, influenced by your upbringing. It's influenced by chance. Um, you know, we, all, n- none of us has to be born into the families or in the time period or in the country that we've been born into. Um, and so there's time and chance that happens to us all. Um, your identity is influenced by your experiences, maybe something you've gone through, maybe something that happened to you, um, you know, and you're going to tell yourself a specific story about your life based on those experiences, and you'll attach that as part of your identity. Um, it's also influenced by the things that you value the most. What's important to you? What's, what are the things that you value that you think are, are worth uh, investing time into? And there's a whole bunch of different ways that we can start to dissect our, our identity and look at all the different categories and all the different things that make us who we are. I mean, here's just a, a brief sampling of those. We might define ourselves by a relationship, and that might be our identity. I am a husband. I am a brother. I am a son. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I'm a dad. Those are the types of things that we might say about ourselves um, based on a specific relationship. 
We might do this by profession. Uh, I am a designer. I am an entrepreneur. I am a doctor. I am a farmer. We do this uh, by profession as well. We might do it by interest. Some people might say, I'm a sports fan, specifically for our area. I'm a Razorback fan. That might be a huge part of some people's identity. Uh, some people are, are kind of weird geek nerds like me and like Star Wars. I'm a Star Wars fan. Um, some people, by the activity that they, that they participate in, I'm a runner. I don't identify as a runner. That's not me. I can't say that I'm a runner. Some people love hunting. I'm a hunter. And they, they go and do these, these types of things. They love that. That's an interest of theirs. Um, some people might be classified or identified by age. I'm a child. I'm an adult. I'm old. Um, some people do it by gender. Uh, I am a man. I am a woman. There's also maybe your, your status in this, this world, like your, your social uh, status or your wealth. I am poor. I am wealthy. I am middle class. I am upper class. Um, maybe by nationality. I am American. Or I am an Indian. Or I am African. There's all kinds of, of classifications. Personality. Some people might identify themselves as, well, I'm just a laid back person. And they just kind of have that mentality. Uh, or I'm introverted. That's a big thing. People say, oh, I'm, I'm an introvert. Or I am an extrovert, and we classify ourselves in these ways and think of our lives in those, those models. Uh, maybe by politics, it's a pretty big one. Um, people say, I am a Democrat, I am a Republican, or I'm conservative, I'm liberal, and, and we align ourselves according to these things. Uh, maybe it's beliefs about your own self and the story you tell yourself. Some, some people out there think they're really smart, and they'll tell, those, they'll tell themselves that. Or we might hold the, the opposite view if, if we're not that confident in ourselves and say, you know, I'm just really not that smart. Or, oh, I'm, I'm just not that creative. I'm just not that capable. Or I'm afraid of taking risks. Or I'm afraid of, so there's sometimes there are stories that we tell ourselves. And there's a whole bunch of other things that we could do to, to segment out our different uh, ways that we might classify ourselves and identify ourselves. And in general, it is important to know who you are because it helps you understand who you are. And, and it helps you understand the areas you should focus on and things you shouldn't focus on and things that you should change. But why is it so important to understand your identity? Why is it so important to know who you are? Uh, well, one is because identity is going to influence how we think about ourselves, and it's going, to think of, it's going to influence how we think about other people. However we classify ourselves, we're going to, we're going to automatically think of ourselves in a certain way, um, and it's all the ways that are connected to that because we want to really solidify that viewpoint in our mind about this identity that we hold. And we're going to classify other people based on that. And, and we will, our behavior will change toward ourselves or other people based on these identities we hold. Um, because it does influence how we see the world as well. Um, you know, if, if, if you're a, on the, if just looking at political spectrum, if you're more leaning to the left and liberal, you're going to see the world in a specific way. And everything that happens in the world and all the things that happen in politics, you're going to see either affirm or counter the things that you believe. Same for if you're on the other side, if you're more to the right and you're more conservative. 
you're going to just see all these things as either a positive or negative in the view that you already hold. Um, and so it reinforces what you believe or, or it, uh, it influences how you see the world for sure. Um, your identity influences the choices that you make in this world. You're going to make choices that help you to be aligned. Like your whole life is going to start sh uh, shifting and aligning around this specific identity that you hold in your mind because it will identify what you care about the most. It's, it's um, what you wear, what you choose to put on your body, what you choose to put in your body, uh, where you take your body, like places you'll go or places you won't go. We're going to determine all of these things and make these decisions based on whatever our identity is. Um, if I say I'm a hunter and I love meat, I'm not going to go to a vegan conference, right? I mean, so if I if I think that I'm not that's not the crowd. That's not the kind of people that I uh, would would you know be able to connect with very easily. They're not going to like hunting as much, possibly. Um, so. That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Like we, when we identify as a specific thing um, and hold these things uh, true for ourselves, it'll, just, it'll help us decide and sort ourselves out on what we do and what we won't do and who will be around. Um, it determines how we want to be seen in the world. Uh, that's our, people talk about this all the time, self-expression. And that's what we choose to say with our words the language we choose to use. Uh, if I want to be viewed as someone who's very smart, I'm going to try to use big words and, and you know, try to uh, pretend like I have this giant vocabulary. Or not, maybe not pretend. Some people just do have a good, you know, broad vocabulary. Um, you know, and, and so it's going to choose. You will make decisions about how you communicate or even in your actions. Again, you'll, the things that you do and the things that you won't do. Uh, because you will want people to, not only will you try to identify in this way and hold these things true, you want other people to know that and recognize that about you. You want to be seen. And the other thing is that it will help you belong to something. It'll help you belong to a larger group. It'll help you connect with other people uh, who are like-minded, because we want to find people who are like-minded to affirm what we already think we are and or we want to be more of, and so we will automatically be more uh, attracted towards a group that is going to say what we are wanting to hear and, and tells us what we believe already um, because they share that similar identity so it's easier to connect. And it gives you approval and acceptance among people who are like-minded. Uh, you can feel safe. You can feel free to just be who you are with this group of people who thinks like you. And so it's very, very important to us in our, in our lives um, to understand who we are because of these, these various reasons. Now, there is an issue though. <laughs> there is a problem with identity and, and the ways that we classify ourselves in this world, the, 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 all these different ways we segment you know, and identify and put these labels on ourselves. There is an issue. Jesus said this in Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever it is that you value the most, whatever it is that you think is the treasure that you're seeking, that's where your heart will be. 
Um, and so when you think about these things with identity, some of these labels aren't bad. Thinking about yourself and understanding yourself, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a whatever it is your occupation, you start thinking about these things or the things you're interested in, those things may not necessarily be, uh, all be bad. But if we make our own identity that we've given to ourselves our treasure, and that's the thing that we hold the, the, and cling on to, our identity will lead us to idolatry. Because we're going to shift and prioritize everything around that, this idea of who we are. And because that's what we're going to value the most. That's where our treasure. So our heart's really going to be into that. And we will reshape our lives. We will make decisions that are going to align us the most with whatever it is that we hold so valuable about ourselves and this identity. And Jesus says when we reach this point, if we're not paying attention and making sure that our treasure is set on the right things and on the right type of identity, that we're not going to be able to see things clearly. And that's a problem. Uh, because we can convince ourselves if we're so focused on who I am, if you were so focused on that and, and getting our joy, getting our value, getting our worth from this identity, then, again, everything that happens, we're going to see as a way to affirm that belief we already hold or as a way that, to, that counters that and is somehow against that and you know, uh, it will affect the way you see the world. Matthew 6, 22-23, and the New King James Version, I think, puts it a way that's maybe a little easier to understand. He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. We need our eyes to be able to see where we're going and what we're doing. And, and if our eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. You'll, you'll know what to do. You'll know where to go. Um, but if your eye is bad, imagine if you're blind or you have poor eyesight, your whole body will be full of darkness. You won't be able to see as clearly. You won't be able to understand as clearly uh, the information that your, your eyes are processing. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus points, something out, points out something here that's important. Worse than being blind is having a false view of reality. Uh, because what the point we'll get to is serving ourselves in the name of serving something greater. We'll confuse ourselves and think and, and pretend and and start chasing this counterfeit uh, joy and counterfeit uh, happiness and fulfillment. When we treasure our own identity so much, uh, we're going to do things that make us feel good about ourselves and affirm that. And then we're going to believe that's the true source of value because of how good we feel when we do those things. Um, and then again, in, a, in the religious context, we might even start to believe this is how we can serve God. And so we start to equate our own happiness and the way we feel with if God is pleased with us and approves of us or not. And so we start chasing this feeling of being happy and then saying, well, that means God is happy with me because of the way I feel. And what Jesus wants us to see and understand is that that, that cannot be the case. Um, what we're ultimately doing is serving ourselves and pretending that we're serving God or confused about serving God. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that we value sometimes that we think, man, this is great, this is the best thing, this is what really gives me joy, this is what really gives me value and worth in this world. Um, and here's an example in, in 1 Peter 3. So in this, to set up the context of 1 Peter 3, he is writing to 
he's writing to Christians in, the first, in, in his epistle to show themselves as good servants to whatever it is the authority is in their life and to submit ourselves and to show, our, show good fidelity in, in how we're serving God and, and our obedience and our humbleness and our meekness and suffering for, you know, maybe wrongfully, um, things like that is the kind of things that Peter talks about in this uh, epistle. Well, when you get to chapter 3, he starts to narrow in on relationship dynamics and husbands and wives. He talks about wives being uh, obedient to their own husbands and being, you know, in a submission into this, in this relationship. Now, husbands should also be in a form of submission and be a, the right kind of man that should and can lead his wife. But he says if there's any husband that is disobedient, how can a wife win over the conduct of her husband? Well, it's with her own conduct, by being a Christian woman and, and not with the things that we might think of how to influence, you know, a wife might think, how do I influence my husband? Well, they might start to do all these things to beautify themselves, to, to be attractive and to win their favor and to win them over. And I think that's a pretty good example of how we tend to mix up what is truly valuable and what will be effective and what will be worth uh, doing and how do we help someone. In this case, how do we help someone? If a husband is not doing what he needs to do and not listening and obeying the Word of God, the way to win him over is not with beauty, but it's with something of true value. Because ultimately that beauty is going to fade, and then he'll be left empty. If that's all he thought, okay, well this means that I'm pleasing to God if I have this great relationship with this beautiful woman. He'll be left empty. Well, Peter says this in First Peter 3. He says of godly women, he says, who's adorning, let it not be that of outward adorning of plating of the hair and wearing of gold and putting on of apparel which is, are still things that are valued in our society. Uh, you know, there's, and it's not just women, but men too. I mean, there's a whole fashion shows and people are always concerned about who's wearing what at the Oscars and who's wearing what at these events and these banquets and people want to look nice and look fancy and all these things. And they put so much value into these, these concepts of, of doing your hair a certain way and wearing certain kinds of earrings and wearing wearing certain brands because that says something about you and the quality that you like and how cute it makes you look or how whatever. So, but he says, don't let it, don't let this be your focus when you're trying to win people over, when you're trying to give your husband something of true value, it's not this. Instead, let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. That is what God truly values. It's not beauty, and it's not our looks, it's not the clothes we wear, and the gold and the wealth that we have. What God truly values is having a meek and a humble, quiet spirit. And that is the true value. You see how we tend to, as humans, we have it our way, we think this is the great value, and this eh, meek and quiet spirit Nah, it's not that valuable. What good is that going to actually do for you? We have it mixed up. What will do something for us is a meek and quiet spirit. And if we pursue that and we influence, in this case, a wife influencing her husband with a meek and quiet spirit, that is going to be much great, of much greater value and your husband will not be left empty 
if he changes or if he pursues that. He will not be left empty. But he will be encouraged to have the same kind of attitude and be submissive to God and take on the responsibilities that he has as a husband, um, not just filled with this uh, distraction of, of, of beauty, which is a nice thing, but it's just ultimately not going to bring you the true value. And so ultimately, this is just an example. This isn't the only example. We do this with all kinds of things. We as humans, what we consider as beautiful and wonderful and valuable, God doesn't see it that way. What he considers valuable is something deeper and more meaningful and more important. And that is the condition of your heart and mind and if it's aligned with godliness or not. That's what he really cares about for all of us. Um, because ultimately, go back, going back to Matthew 6, we can only value one identity the most. <laughs> we're in, this, in this country, in our hustle culture, we think we're so good at multitasking, but we're so not. <laughs> we can only do one thing well at a time. And Matthew 6, 24, he says this, No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And, you know, sometimes we get presumptuous and arrogant, and we think, well, Jesus said we, we can't serve God and mammon, but, you know, we really can. I don't think he knows what he's talking about. Things were slower in their time, and they didn't have all the tools and technology we have today. We, we can handle this. We can't. We absolutely can't. And when we think about our identity, we're going to prioritize one thing the most in our life, and that thing is going to be whatever we think is the most valuable. Going back to what he said about the heart in just a few verses before this. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Um, that treasure, the thing you find most valuable, that's the thing that's worth your time. That's where you're going to invest your time. It's not going to be a big deal for you to drive however far to go see that game or to be with those people or to go, go kill that, that, uh, that animal or go get that food or go get that that job or go get that beautiful apparel, whatever. We're going to go as far as we will go and spend as much time as we're going to spend and it's not going to bother us because it's something we really value. We're going to put our energy, that's what we consider worth spending our energy on, the time it takes to think about and, and it's just constantly in our minds or it's, we're constantly checking on updates, we're constantly figuring out more information about this specific subject that we want to, that we're really excited about. Um, you know, it's like, oh, I don't have time to, I don't have time to sit down and study the Bible, but I have time to binge, binge watch four hours of Netflix on the show that I really like, because that's what we think is valuable, and it's, and it's worth our time and our energy or our focus. Like, we really will pay attention to this specific thing. Um, and that, really, when we examine our lives, is our true identity. And let's say, for example, another example, if our identity is connected with wealth, well, we're going we're gonna to spend a lot of time and energy and effort making certain kinds of sacrifices to get more money, to increase that bank account, to increase maybe its possessions that we find valuable. We're going to go buy things. We're going to go get things that are going to make us feel valuable and feel worth it and make other people see that we're wealthy or we're successful or whatever. And by default, other things in our life are just not going to be as important and they're just going to fall to the wayside. 
Because when you put your value and you say, this is where I get my worth, you're going to start saying yes to all the things related to that and saying no to all the other stuff. You cannot do both. You'll serve one or the other. So these are questions that I think we should be honestly asking ourselves to, to really identify what is our treasure. What do we really care about? What is my life really centered about, around? What is my life about? Um, I think that's a really good question for self-reflection. Um, and as you examine those things honestly, and you've got to be brutally honest with yourself. I think a lot of us are afraid to do that for ourselves, but you have to be brutally honest with yourself. Um, it's easy, again, it's easy for us to deceive ourselves and be like, well, yeah, my, my life is about doing what's right and being a Christian and serving Christ and all these things. But then if we really, really take a hard look, we start to, to see that maybe it's not quite the way we think it is or as much as we think it is. Um, we're usually not as, as good as we think we are um, in, in, in skills or whatever. And it could be true. It could be true. And we have to embrace that possibility. It could be true that I'm lying to myself. It could be true that I'm wrong. It could be true that I, my life really isn't centered around the right things. And if we don't ho- embrace that possibility, we're just constantly going to be like going off blindly and, and not seeing things correctly, not seeing reality for what it is. So we have to really ask ourselves that question. Is my life, what is my life really centered around? And then we should keep digging deep and ask, what is my underlying motive? If my life really isn't centered around doing the right things, and, and around my identity as a Christian, what is my underlying motive? Why am I not doing those things? Or why am I doing what I'm doing? What am I looking for? What am I really wanting to achieve and gain? Um, or sometimes we spend so much time and energy and focus on doing something, we pour ourselves into it because we're trying to avoid something else. So avoidance is also a, a factor that could be true. Um, so you can ask, keep digging deep. Where do I actually spend my time and what is the thing that I spend the most time doing? Um, and then you can keep asking questions and digging deep. Who uh, do I spend the most time with? Who are the people that I constantly and consistently choose to be around and want to be around and really uh, reinforces the value that I want to have of myself? I want them to reinforce that in my life, so I'm going to them and spending time with them and trying to keep up with them and trying to live up to their standards and their expectations and dress like them and look like them and talk like them. Who is it that we're shaping our lives and letting, letting them influence our lives so much? Then we can keep digging deep, deep and asking, where am I getting my worth from? What is it that I, that I, once you know what you're looking for, where you're spending your time, it's worth assessing, where am I getting my worth from? Because some people live life that way. They might get all their worth and their value from a specific person. And if that person isn't approving of them, their life is just a wreck. That happens with relationships. Or with jobs. If my job isn't going well, my life is just not going well. Where are you getting your worth from? Ask yourself those, those honest questions. And I think we'll start to get a clear picture of, of who we really are. Um, if we ultimately choose to just pursue our own identity, whatever labels we've given ourselves and prioritize those things uh, above pursuing the life that Christ and the identity in Christ, 
we're going to lose our life. It will not serve you the way you think it will. It will not end the way you think it will. It will not bring you the value you think it will. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said this to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. That means that if we try so hard to preserve who we are, it's going to lead us to destruction. But if we give up those things, our, our, the things that we think are most valuable, the things that we think are, um, are bringing us our worth, the, these labels that we attach ourselves to and identify ourselves as, if we give those things up and pursue a proper view of reality, a proper view of ourselves, a proper alignment with Christ and His life, we will find life. And, and, and it's far more abundant than the life that we chase being wrapped up in our own identities. And I think it's easy. I mean, this, this happens to all of us. And, I, and so, I mean, I'm not sitting up here from some place of like having it all figured out because I, I wish I did, but I don't. Um, and, I, and I think we get attached to our identity because we either forget or we don't really understand the value that being a Christian brings us. Um, and, and what we end up doing is chasing a counterfeit, and that counterfeit is le- going to lead us to losing our life. Um, but, but I do think it's true. We don't really get the value. It's easy for us in this life to get distracted and prioritize those things because we think in that moment that's going to be worth the most. I mean, Matthew ten thirty seven. he talked about setting our priorities correctly. He says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth me is not worthy of me. Jesus is describing the kind of person who will not choose to prioritize Christ and making, letting Christ be the center of his life to shape the decisions and influence the choices and influence the, the, all of his life around. He will not do that, and instead, he will let his life be centered around what his father or mother thinks. Or this person will prioritize loving their children more than Christ. Or this person will prioritize loving their own self and their own identity more than Christ and will not choose to follow after Christ. And to follow him means we look at the things that he does, we take on the values that he has, and we act in the ways that Christ acts and, and lives. And we follow him. We sh- shape and pattern our lives according to those actions. And he says if we can't do that, we're not willing to reprioritize our life and make him the first priority, then we're not worthy to be Christians. We're not worthy to be followers of Christ. So it's imperative that we, that we don't pursue our own identity because we will lose our life. Uh, and, and that's Jesus. He's the source of life, and we don't want to lose that. So, let's take a moment and talk about our identity in Christ, because what is the thing that we get? What is the value that we receive from being a Christian and having our identity be in Christ? That will help us to determine and to, to weigh these things and say, okay, what's, what's more worth it? Pursuing relationships or possessions or myself, or my employment, or whatever, 
or is it Christ and righteousness and godliness and holiness? Which one is better? We're making those kind of valuations all the time and those kind of judgments all the time. So we need to do that with our life in Christ and, and see just how, how much greater it is. Um, and I guess if, I guess if it's a, a scale, it's of greater weight and of greater value, the Christian life, and it'll be an obvious choice. Uh, so first of all, when we're baptized into Christ, we need to understand if you've been baptized into Christ, or if you haven't yet been baptized into Christ and you want to be, when you're baptized into Christ, you receive a totally new identity. All the stuff about you no, no longer matters. Those things that you hold, you held to before, no longer matter. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You made an agreement when you were baptized into Christ to reprioritize your life and take on a whole new identity and become a whole new person. All things and old things are passed away, he says. And all things are become new. That's because you have received new and true value by being in Christ. What is that new and that true value? Ephesians 4.23, he says, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which after God or in the, in the image of God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's the value that we've received in Jesus, uh, righteousness and true holiness. And when we were baptized into him, our old man was done away and we were reshaped and reformed and reborn into this new identity and this new person. I am of Christ. And I have been shaped and created in righteousness and in true holiness. That's what I possess by being a Christian. And our old identities that we thought held so much weight and so much value in our lives are worthless compared to the identity of a Christian. They, they just simply are so insignificant and do not compare in the least to the glory that we receive in Christ. Colossians 3, 10 through 17 says, you have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. That's the pattern is Christ. And we've been reshaped and reformed to follow his image in that pattern. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, these labels that the people of the day had, they made all kinds of determinations on wh who was worth it and who was not based on whether they were non-Jews or whether they were Jews. And Paul says, eliminated. That's gone. There's no more Greek and Jew. There's no more status on whether you're circumcised or not circumcised. There's no more barbarian or Scythian, which, is, which are even uh, worse forms or baser forms of, of being a non-Jew in the Jewish mind. There's no more status on whether you're a, a bond servant or whether you're a free man. That doesn't matter. Your, your social status, your economic status, your national status, your religious status, none of that stuff is important anymore. It all needs to go away, and it all needs to center on Christ. He says, but Christ is all and in all. That's the thing of true value. That's the identity that we ought to have and to hold very dearly. And if others have that identity, we should hold them dearly as well and not divide and label ourselves and find more ways to be divide, divided and split ourselves up and to cast people out. Instead, let's, as we've been invited into Christ and have put on the new man, let's invite each other into our lives and be together as this group. Um, 
because those old identities no longer hold value. Now we hear this and it sounds great and it's inspiring and we might call ourselves Christians, but we might still struggle by of tightly holding on to our identity and ultimately how it plays out in our lives, even though we've been baptized into Christ, even though we call ourselves follower of Christ, Christianity kind of takes a back seat to all of our other priorities. And, and again, I don't think we would treat Christ this way if we really understood what he's giving us. If we really understood how worth it it is to give all of these things away. We should be willing to give everything up and reprioritize the value we place on those things and, and center it around Christ. Luke 14, 26, he said, If any man come to me and hate not, and this doesn't mean you despise and you, you mistreat or things like that. It doesn't mean being hateful to them. It means that you are not going to prioritize your father and your mother and your wife and your children and your brothers and your sisters and your own life also. Because if you do, you cannot be a disciple of Christ. Because remember, how we identify and the things we put our value in are what we're going to use to filter our decisions and determine what we're going to do and how we're going to act and what we're going to say, and it's going to be shaped all around what we value the most, and it cannot be people. It cannot be possessions, and it cannot be ourself. It has to be Christ. Whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We have to have the willingness and the, the desire and the action to give up these things in our life and the value of these things so that we can embrace something of much greater value. So what is, what is being a Christian worth to you? Because when Jesus gave the parables, he wanted to help us understand the real, true value of giving everything up so that we could gain everything that truly matters. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, he says again, The kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure that's hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's been hidden in a field, which when a man found, he hides it, and for joy, he goes and sells everything he has so that he could buy that field. Why? So he could get that treasure, because he understood this was far, of far greater value than anything he owned and possessed combined. And so with joy, he does it happily. He does it, he's going to go and make, it's not that much of a sacrifice in his mind to sacrifice everything because he's getting so much more of a far greater value. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. He's a pearl merchant and he sells and buys and trades pearls. Who, when he has found one pearl of great price, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. On the outside, it may seem like really a, a foolish thing, and we might, we might think that, oh man, that's so foolish. You sold everything you had just to go buy a field? You sold everything you had, all the pearls that you had in your inventory, you gave all of those away just so you could get one? From an earthly perspective, and if, we're, if our eye is not good, and our sight is not aligned correctly, and we're blind, we're going to see this as a bad trade-off here and say this was, not, this was not of good value. You should not have sold this. You should not have traded this. But if we're looking at what truly matters and what is most important, as Jesus says here, 
this is like the kingdom of heaven, it's absolutely worth giving everything up, selling it. In these parables, it was worth selling all of these things so that we could grab onto that one thing that was of far greater value than anything we could ever lose. So what is, what is it worth? What is being a Christian worth to you? What are you not giving up? These are questions we should ask ourselves, for sure. They understood, the, in, the, in this parable, they understood the value of what they found and wanted it so badly they made the sacrifices they needed to make. And again, it was easy because that one thing was way more valuable. And in the end, they didn't lose anything. That's, that's the thing. We think by being a Christian, when we hear, you've got to be self-sacrificing and all, you think, oh man, I'm going to lose everything. And yeah, it's true, you're going to lose everything that isn't worth it. But you're going to gain everything that is. And that's what it's like to embrace the identity in Christ and embrace who we are in Christ. Whatever we think we're losing is actually worthless in the light of Christ. Philippians chapter 3, Paul had this mindset and understood this very clearly. He starts in verse 7, he says, But what things were gained to me, the things that I thought were, that I was getting gain from, I was getting value from, the things that I thought were bringing me benefit and value in my life, I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I, and I count all things but loss. For what? What was the value that Paul was pursuing and trading in? What was that pearl of great price that he understood and could see so clearly? What was that field that had that hidden treasure? The excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord. That's what Paul, that's what Paul was investing his life into. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, do you see how he looks at all the things in his life that he had? He had status. He had value as a, as, a, as a Pharisee. He was on the fast track to being a very prominent Pharisee in their culture and could have had power and, and position. and He had a good career, you might say. But he looked at all those things in his life and he counted them but dung. That's absolutely worthless. Why? So that he may win Christ. It wasn't just, hey, I hate all the things and I hate my life and all this stuff is worthless and there's no value in it. No, it's like, this is nothing compared to what I'm going to get in the knowledge of Christ. This is nothing what I'm going to get compared to what I'm going to get in winning Christ and, and, and gaining Christ because that's the thing that is of true value. Because I want, as Paul says, to be found in him not having mine own righteousness, again, his righteousness, his happiness, his joy, his value was not tied up in his own identity anymore. It was, it was wrapped up in the identity of being a disciple of Christ and knowing Christ and being known of Christ. He says his own righteousness, it was based in the law. He put all his stock into that before as a Jew, as a Pharisee. That's why he did the things he did. That's why he persecuted the church and killed those people and hauled them off to jail and was going to persecute more. And he thought in his mind it was the right thing to do to destroy the church that Christ was building because Christ was a, 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 a heretic. He was a vagabond Jew who deserved to die. And all his disciples who were going off and leaving the Jewish faith, they deserved to die too because Paul's identity was wrapped up in that. But then everything changed when Christ confronted him and he had to reprioritize his life and see reality clearly for the first time and say, 
whoa, I'm on, I am doing the wrong things, and now I'm going to change my life and do the right things and pursue Christ and give everything up that I thought was valuable in order to pursue that. He wants to be found in Christ, not having his own righteousness, which was of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness of God, which is by faith. That's what Paul pursued, and that's what Paul wanted. He was reprioritizing his life around that. He found the pearl of great price and pursued that with all his might. And we should ask ourselves, are we doing that? What is it worth to you to be a Christian? What is it worth to me? Because again, our identity in Christ helps us reprioritize our life to pursue the thing that is the most valuable. That's what it means in Matthew 6.33. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The things that we're so concerned about getting, our food and our clothing and our, all these things, all that stuff, that will fall into place. I mean, God's not going to let us uh, go hungry. He's not going to let us starve. He takes care of the animals. He care, takes care of the world he's created. But sometimes we pursue, and he says this in another, in another passage, he says, don't labor for the meat that perishes. Don't make your life about working for these the food that is going to, to rot and deteriorate and go away. It expires. And, I, and I, I mean, we find ourselves doing it all the time. We've oh, we got to wait till payday. Now we can get the food, and we're so focused on that, and it has an expiration date, and then we just go through the cycle over and over again. And your life could easily become about pursuing meat that perishes. He says, labor instead. Put your effort and your time and your energy and your focus and your intention on the meat that does not perish. So instead of letting your identity that we have, who I am, with all these different labels, become the thing that we prioritize our life around and filter everything else and make everything else secondary, we need to shift our priority and seek the kingdom first. Make God and Christ the first priority in your life and His righteousness and all these other things will fall into place and they'll be taken care of and we, we won't have to spend so much energy and time worrying about things that that are going to be fine, ultimately. If then a Christian is who I am, that's my identity, because I'm putting the kingdom first and prioritizing the kingdom first, then the way I think about myself and others, the way I see the world, the choices that I make, what to put on my body, what to put in my body, where to take my body, the way that I might express my thoughts and word and my intentions and my actions, the belonging that, uh, and acceptance that I'm looking for and seeking for among other people, all of that should be informed by Christ so that I can be conformed to Christ. Because that's the trouble that we find ourselves in as Christians in this world. And when we get distracted by all the other labels and the identities that we put onto ourselves and the stories that we tell ourselves about who we are, those things begin to shift and rise up above being a Christian, and then we start to, to view the world and all of our decisions and who we are is filtered through that view first, where it should be, as Christ said, seek the kingdom first and let that filter all of your decisions. We still have a responsibility to take care of things like being a husband or a wife or a son or a mother, these relationships, we still have a responsibility to take care of those things, but those 
relationships and those responsibilities are not going to come first. And that's not going to inform how I live my life as a Christian. It's going to be the other way around. Because I'm a Christian, I'm going to be a certain kind of father. Because I'm a Christian, I'm going to be a certain kind of son. Because I'm a Christian, I'm going to be a certain kind of employee and, and a certain type of brother in Christ. And all of these things are going to inform the way I live because it's dictated by Christ and seeking the kingdom first. This is what Paul said. Remember he said in Colossians that we are putting on a new man and transforming ourselves and we are recreated in righteousness and true holiness and in this, this image of his son. He says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 17, he says, if that's the case, if we've been renewed in Christ, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. These are the types of attitudes and the type of mindset we're going to have, and this is how we're going to start identifying ourselves and the qualities we're going to take in, into our life because we are a Christian. And because we're going to take on these qualities, it's going to dictate the types of actions and the kinds of words and the outcomes of what we're producing in our life. Notice how he continues here in verse 13. He says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So what Paul is saying is, if your identity is a Christian, then, and, and your identity is in Christ, then when you have a quarrel with someone, you're going to behave yourself as, as Christ behaved in that situation. You're not going to prioritize whatever it is, what label it is, as it's often easy for us to do, and let that supersede all things. No, instead, we're going to let Christ and our identity in Christ supersede all things. And so we say, okay, there's a quarrel, so I'm going to behave myself as a Christian, and I'm going to forgive even as Christ forgave me. And Christ forgave me for all kinds of sins, and He forgave many people, even as He hung there on the cross, bleeding, looking at the people who are murdering Him and who hate Him, and He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the kind of mentality we're going to have if our identity is in Christ. He continues on in verse 14, he says, And above all these things, put on charity. That's going to be the leading quality that's going to be in our life. He says, this is the bond of perfectness. We're not just going to stop there. It's going to dictate the decisions we make, the words we use, the, the way that we spend our time, and the things that we invest into. And that is, that is filling ourselves with the knowledge and the Word of God. It says in verse 15, Let the peace of God rule in your heart, to the which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, whatever actions you decide to take, whatever words you decide to use, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Everything you do should be informed by being a Christian and your identity in Christ. And if you embrace this mindset and you put the kingdom first and you don't let the earthly identities and, and these labels and these markers of, 
of how we divide ourselves and categorize ourselves and the things we want to be known by, if we don't let those things take priority over Christ, but we put Christ in His proper place in our lives, it will instantly and, and ultimately make life better for us. Because He says in Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30, And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospel's, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come eternal life. Now this isn't a Joel Osteen-type prosperity message. This is words of Jesus. And he says, if we reprioritize our life and make him first, and we give up all of these things and attachment to these things for the kingdom's sake and the gospels, for his sake and the gospels, he says, we'll receive in this time houses, now houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children. We will gain so much more than we think we're losing if we're willing to pursue Christ, just as he said, if you will seek to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life, if you willingly give up and sacrifice your life for Jesus, you will gain so much more than you sacrificed. I can attest to that in my own life, giving up my family and my friends and the connections that I had, that I held dearly. But when it came time to make the choice, it was obvious which was better, and it was difficult. As Jesus says, these blessings will come with persecutions, and they surely did come with persecutions for me. But I gained a far greater family and a far larger family than I ever gave up. I've gained so many brothers and sisters and mothers and grandmothers and homes. And even in our, even in our most financial straits, I've never worried because of the confidence that Jesus' word gives us, because I know that there are brothers and sisters in Christ who would give me the shirt off their back and would help and support us if, if things went really bad and they wouldn't let us starve. And that's a great comfort and great blessing in this life, because that's what we gain when we give all these things up. Galatians chapter 3, 27, he says in verse 27 and 28, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female. All of these identity labels, they're all gone out the window. And he says, you are all in Christ, all one in Jesus Christ. His is the only name and the only label and the only identity that ultimately matters in our lives. Now, how did they conduct themselves in this family? We have a picture of this in the, in the New Testament, if we look at Acts chapter 2. And we can see how they conducted themselves and the things they did and the, the belonging that we look for is found in the family of Christ. And that's what it's showing us in Acts chapter 2. There in verse 41, it says, And they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. 
Do you see how the early church behaved themselves because their identity was in Christ? They leaned on this blessing that Jesus promised of gaining brethren and sisters and fathers and mothers and houses and lands. They shared all things in common. And they looked out for each other and took care of each other and treated each other as family and found their belonging in that family because they were Christians. And that's a blessing that we gain as Christians. We get to belong to a family like this who cares for each other and looks out for each other's well-being. Finally, it's important for us to know and understand that not only will it make this life now good, it will make the life to come, as Jesus says, in this life we'll receive blessings, but in the life to come we'll receive eternal life. And so if our identity is rooted in Christ and that's how we live our life, then we will ultimately be like Christ in the next life. He says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. John is, is prophesying and saying, look, the Holy Spirit has not showed us what it's going to be like when Christ returns, but here's what we do know, that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And whatever form Christ is in when He comes back, for the second coming and for the judgment of this world and to take up His children, whatever form that is, our bodies are going to be transformed and we are going to be like Him. And that can only happen if we live this life seeking the kingdom first and letting our identity and who we are be in Christ and let that inform the way we carry out our duties as a husband or as a mother, as a father, as all these different roles that we have. Those should never rise up and be swapped around in place of Christ as the top priority. We should firmly keep Christ as the top priority because it's ultimately going to lead us to be like Him. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.